Well, good morning, good morning, good to see you. If you've got a Bible, this morning we're going to head to the book of John, chapter 15, reading verses 1 through 17. Uh, do encourage you to turn there, as always, either in your physical Bible or on your device. And while you're doing that, two things I want to make you aware of. Uh, the first is, as we enter into this uh, new uh, rhythm of Operation Love Your Neighbor this year, uh, Operation Love Your Neighbor is kind of our language for uh, doing things in our community that uh, make a difference uh, in Jesus' name. Uh, we've got an opportunity coming up for you to do that. Uh, on October 14th, we've got a bus headed to Illinois uh, to partner with Feed My Starving Children. Uh, this is an opportunity to go and pack meals uh, for needy uh, folks around the world. This trip is open to anyone five and older, so it's a great family event, and would love to have you be a part of that. You can find registration and all information you need at northbrookchurch.org forward slash Olin. And secondly, uh, the second announcement that I, I want to make is I just, I'm making it because I don't want people to freak out, because this has a f- high freak out uh, factor. Uh, so <laughs> it, it does. That's why I'm doing it. So, so next, next week you got something happening here. One of the things that we, we've done here uh, at Northbrook is just always had a good relationship with the first responders in Washington County. And every year they do a big training. And this year they asked if they could use our facility because they need a large space to do it. So next week on Monday through, I believe it's Thursday or Friday, uh, there's going to be a bunch of first responders here, police, firefighters, uh, EMTs, sheriff. And it, it's not going to just be like a, a couple of police cars. It's going to kind of... It's going to kind of look like a terrorist event happened here. I mean, there's going to be hundreds of people here all throughout the day and into the evening doing exercises inside and out. They're going to have all their equipment here. So there's going to be a lot going on. And I just don't want you to drive by or pull in the parking lot and say, what is going on here? Uh, They're going to put up signs that say training, but the last time they did it, the signs blew over and that... that, that resulted in a lot of questions. So just know that if you're coming for a group or if uh, you're dropping kids off for anything, there's going to be just a lot going on and it's all okay. It's all organized and it's going to be good. So spread the word. If someone says what's going on at Northbrook, just say nothing but good things. It's, it's amazing to me how powerful our memories can be. I have a, a memory from when I was five years old. When I was five years old, my family moved from our home in the city proper of Buffalo, New York, to a suburb called Lockport. My parents built a brand new home in a subdivision for $30,000. Things were a bit different in 1979. Because we were new in the neighborhood, My mom invited a family down the street for what we would now refer to as a play date. We didn't call it that then, but this mom brought her son and my mom had me and we went into our backyard and we were sitting in the sandbox. And the memory that I have is the the introduction. That's all I remember. So he, he said to me, hi, I'm Andy. What's your name? How old are you? And I said, hi, I'm... I'm Mike, I'm five. And he said, well, I'm five and a half. Almost as if. (laughs) But more importantly, it was the first time that I, I realized that outside of my family, I needed to connect with others. 
I needed friends. I needed significant relationships. I would argue that connecting is the most important part of the human experience. And it's not just an opinion I formed out of, out of thin air. I believe science confirms this and scripture affirms it. In the year 1938, Harvard University began a study, which is still going. It's the longest human study ever conducted. They followed a series of students around throughout their life up until they die, and they were trying to discover the answer to one question. What is it that truly makes people happy? And so as they followed these individuals through their entire life, there was one consistent factor that not only led to happiness, but also health and life longevity. That solitary factor was positive relationships, was deep connection with other people. Another study was conducted in the 1700s by King Frederick II of Prussia. In his experiment, he wanted to know if a baby was never spoken to at all, what is the first language that would emerge all on its own? And so to conduct his experiment, he took a half dozen, dozen babies, put them in a nursery, and he wanted to know, would the first language be Greek, Hebrew, or Latin? And so they were, these children were put in charge of nurses, and the nurses would handle them and feed them and change them, but they would not speak to them. And they were not allowed to speak to each other in front of the children. So these children heard no human voice at all. And the result of the study was this. Every single baby died. All of them. Another study was conducted in the 1940s by the physician Rene Spritz. This was about the time when germ theory was taking off and we discovered that germs are in fact bad, that we should wash our hands before performing medical procedures. And so because of the fear of germs, this physician started an orphanage in which he put all of the children into isolation, sterile environments, to protect them from germs. Those that were taking care of these children were allowed to feed them and, and change them, but no contact, no playing, no affection, nothing. And as a result, 75% of these children also died. Thus affirming that the most important part of the human experience is connecting. We, we need to connect with others to thrive. And lack of connection can, in fact, quite literally, be deadly. See, the way that we connect with others is a powerful indicator of flourishing in life. In the scripture we come today to John chapter 15. In this passage, Jesus is speaking of connecting, and he's using a well-known Jewish metaphor, the grapevine. Now, the grapevine has a long history in Israel. Jesus didn't just think of this metaphor out of nowhere. He didn't pull it out of thin air. In the Jewish temple in Jesus' day, there was a gigantic grapevine that was made of solid gold. 
And this grapevine would uh, grow in size as wealthy individuals would bring donations of gold and metal workers would melt it down and fashion it into grapes and into leaves and add to this vine. The vine was important because it represented the covenant people of God planted in the soil of Israel and tended by God himself to produce fruit. The vine was a nationalistic representation of Israel as God's chosen people. What we're going to find, though, in John chapter 15 is that Jesus is saying that there is only one true vine, and it's him. We are the branches that are connected to him. And it no longer matters if you're Jew or Gentile, but rather faith in Jesus keeps you connected to the vine, thriving and flourishing. Which would have been explosive in Jesus' day. It would have been considered heretical. Because what Jesus was saying is your connection to God does not come from being an Israelite. It comes through being connected to him. And God's people are not defined as people planted in the vineyard of Israel, but as people attached to Jesus. And so essentially, if you want to recover your life, it means abiding in him. And so John chapter 15 begins with Jesus speaking about connecting with God fully. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus uses this seemingly simple phrase, remain in me. And while the language is simple, the conclusion is profound. To truly flourish in life, to truly connect with God fully, we we remain in Christ. The, The believer in Christ is like a living branch connected to a living vine. So Jesus implements this metaphor of of vines and leaves and and fruit and branches, all connected to each other and all connected to a trellis, rooted not in the soil of Israel, but rooted in the the soil of Jesus in, in God. So living in connected harmony with Jesus and living faithful to his word is the very place from which a transformed life flows. It's having this interior, regular experience with Jesus, even in the most mundane of moments. This last week, on Monday, we had our monthly all-church prayer meeting. We've been doing this for about a year. It's open to anybody. We just come and sit together for an hour in the presence of God. And for, for whatever reason, this last one for me was was particularly important. It was almost as if in that hour... God met me in a unique way as I sat not only by myself, but with others that are also connected to his vine. Now, of course, like all things in life, it comes with a choice and a challenge. My biggest challenge that day being was that the Bills were playing on Monday night at 7 o'clock, the exact time of our prayer meeting. I hadn't considered that when I scheduled it. 
And so for a moment I thought, well, who knows? I mean, maybe I'll get the flu or COVID and it'll all work out and I'll be able to watch the game. And then I thought, wait a minute. I'm in charge. I could just assign someone else to do it. And I just missed that first one and it'll be no big deal. But then there was this wave of conviction. It was almost as if Jesus were looking down from heaven saying, really? Because if, I, if I'm choosing as a, as a new creation to, to remain in Christ, then nothing else takes its place. Nothing. Because listen, the God that we serve is a relational God. What you notice in scripture over and over and over is God doesn't just reveal himself as a set of theological ideas. God reveals himself relationally. God also relates to himself relationally. God is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect relationship with himself. This God, who is in perfect relationship with himself, the God who, according to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, spoke the world into existence. He created the stars, all of them, and he calls them by name. All of them. This same God, who calls the stars by name, sits on the throne of heaven, surrounded by angels, who continually say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so this God, who is in perfect relationship with himself, this God who creates the stars and calls them by name, this God who sits in the presence of angels who bow down and sing holy, 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 is the same God that chooses to be in relationship with you and live in you. See, what we're talking about is not just a way of believing, it's a way of living. Jesus goes on to say, in every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off. Now that, that phrase, cuts off, is an interesting phrase, because when you render it from the original language of the Bible, it quite literally means to lift up. So we could also read that passage as, he lifts up every branch that bears no fruit, which would make sense in vineyard terminology. Because branches that are on the ground cannot produce fruit. They must be attached to a trellis. And so any branch that is laying on the ground not producing fruit, he lifts up so that it can produce fruit. And because life is complex, some of the deepest ways that God connects us and shapes us are when times are challenging. And so we read that from time to time, The vine needs to be pruned because there are just some things that are dead and don't fit and don't work. And so the master of the garden knows exactly where to cut and exactly what to prune to get the greatest amount of fruit. Because what we learn from from Jesus is that, that proof of a transformed spiritual life is not our church attendance. It's not our reading of the Bible. It's not being part of a group. It's not even praying. Or, although all those things are necessary for our transformation, none of those things are proof of transformation. Because you can go to church, read the Bible, and pray and still live the same old life. Now see, proof of transformation is described in the book of Galatians quite clearly. The proof or the fruit of our own transformation is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Proof of a transformed life is abiding to the vine and producing fruit. And God gave us the capacity to respond to his relational initiatives. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 12, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with, with all that you are, body, mind, and soul. I love my God with, I love God with my body, the way I use my body to treat others, the way I treat my body itself. I love God with my mind, the thoughts that I think, the places I allow my mind to wander to. And I love God with my soul, that deep, deep interior place. But it's hard because we as humans are an entanglement of contradictions. Oh, we're created in God's image and likeness and we bear that image. And yet, if you're like me, you're also marred by our sins, which I'm reminded of regularly. On Friday, I dropped my son off at Slinger High School, which I do most days of the week. And if you've got a kid at Slinger High School, if you teach there, great school. It's been the greatest experience for my children, except for the drop-off zone. (laughs) I pull up, and it's always a mess. There's always a line. And it's not well designed for dropping kids off, and you you pull up to the, the curb, and when you pull up to the curb where you drop off, you're supposed to pull all the way up so people can get in behind you so you keep things flowing. But every once in a while, there's a parent that pulls in, doesn't pull up, leaving a huge gap because, I don't know, maybe their precious angel can't walk the extra 40 feet to the door. I don't know what it is, but it makes me so mad. And I don't know why it makes me so mad. And I'll get in line and I'll start saying my thing. And my son says, Dad, why do you get so mad over that? It's inconsiderate and rude and we're sitting here. And I say things I regret. And my son's like, Dad, you need to get a life. And he... <laughs> and I'm reminded of my inherent sinfulness that can't even control my anger over a parent that won't pull forward. And if, it's a, if that's you, if you're here... I, I love you. Just pull forwards. Pull all the way up. As human beings, we can harness the forces of nature. But we can't harness our mouth. We are creative as human beings. And so many of us are generous. Oh, we can be so generous. We can also be violent and cruel. And so Jesus, he provides a way. The writer of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20 reminds us that because of Christ, we have the ability and possibility to be transformed, to connect with God fully, but also to connect with ourselves graciously. John chapter 15 verses 5 through 11, 5 through, five through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and in my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory so that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Disciples, Connecting with yourself graciously begins with the correct identity of who you are. There's all kinds of ways to view ourselves. Some of us have a very high view of ourselves. In some cases, it moves into arrogance, and in other cases, it borderlines on narcissism. Others of us have a very low view of ourselves. Take it from one who has had a low who has had low self-esteem most of my life. Low self-esteem can be just as crippling as high self-esteem or arrogant self-esteem. And yet, one of the great commands of Jesus is that we are called to love others, love our neighbor, not as Jesus loved them, but as we love ourselves. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so there is something about having a deep connection with yourself in a gracious manner. Because who does, who does God actually say that I am? On Friday, I was up in the morning and I was reading the scripture, part of my morning routine, and I was in Galatians chapter 4. And in Galatians chapter 4, the apostle Paul is making a comparison between those that are slaves and those that are free. Now, what you've got to remember is that slavery in Jesus' time was not like colonial slavery in America. In, in Jesus' time, there were more slaves than there were freed people. Because if you got into debt, you couldn't just max out your credit card. If you were in debt, the only way to pay off your debt was to sell yourself to the person you were indebted to and work off your debt, thus making yourself a slave. So many people were enslaved. And Jesus is using this comparison between those that are slave and those that are free. And the apostle Paul is affirming it. And he says, you're no longer, you're no longer slaves. But in Christ, you are, you are sons and daughters. There was a big difference between being a slave and being a son or being a daughter. And as I sat in that chair, I, I really, I was overcome with emotion because I was, a couple things happened last week and I was really beating myself up and I thought, yep, here I am again, just the screw up. And I heard the voice of Christ say, no, you're abiding in the vine. You're my child. I know how I treat my children. I know the feelings I have towards my children. And they're loving. Oh, sometimes they need a little, you know, they need a little discipline. But man, I love my kids and I would never hurt my kids. Never betray my kids. Never, I don't stand around waiting for my kids to screw up so I can punish them. No, 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 no. That brought things into perspective as I sat there realizing I am a child of God. That's what we're told. In Christ, I'm his child. John chapter one, verse 12. In, in Christ, I am accepted and not condemned. Romans chapter eight, verse one. And Romans chapter 15, verse seven. See, in Christ, I am new and transformed. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. In Christ, I am blessed. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. In Christ, I fully belong. 
Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 30. In Christ, I am complete. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Because of those things, and because I'm created in the image of God, the source of my life is Christ. The source of my life is the vine, and I am a branch connected to this life-giving vine. So what's our source? What are we sourced in? I think an easy way to answer that question is to ask yourself another question. What is it that gets me up in the morning? See, often I I would get up in the morning for a lot of my life, and I would get up in the morning, and my motivation was to do well because I cared what other people thought about me. Or I would get up in the morning, and I needed to be successful that day to feel good about myself. And so when things went well, when people liked me that day, when I was successful, I felt good. I felt sourced in the right place. And when things didn't go that well, and when there were those that didn't like me all that much, I know it's surprising, but they're out there, I would feel defeated and frustrated. But if my source is Christ, it doesn't matter what the day looks like. Because my identity doesn't come from those actions. My identity comes from being attached to the vine. And I'm complete in him. When I'm sourced in Christ, I can experience a contentment that's unexplainable. I meet with this this group of guys uh, regularly. And this week we were uh, in Psalm 23, which is the famous shepherding psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... And we read that psalm together, and then we were kind of talking about what that psalm means to us and what what it is that sticks out to us. And I said, you know, the very first line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. I said, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm living in a place right now where I feel content, like a profound contentment. Now listen, that's not to suggest my life is perfect, and like you, I got stuff going on all over the place, good and not so good. But I'm content. And it's nothing to do with my external circumstances and everything to do with being attached to the vine. So much so that my, my mom, I talked to my mom this week. I actually talked to my mom five or six times a week because I'm a mama's boy and I, I make no apologies. And right around this time, she always calls me and says, hey, Michael, I'm doing my Christmas shopping. What do you want for Christmas this year? And I, I couldn't think of anything. I I really can't think of anything I want because I'm living in such a place of contentment. And that's a good place to be, to know that peace. But I also know where it comes from because when I'm living in that place, I can connect with others lovingly. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. I mean, Jesus isn't speaking of sentiment here. Jesus is, Jesus is speaking about action. What Jesus is saying is, listen, what I want you all to do 
is I want you to show up for each other. And I want you to serve each other without the expectation of reciprocity. I mean, when when Jesus knelt down and, and washed the feet of his disciples, he wasn't expecting anything in return, but he was expecting them to treat each other in that way. In Northbrook, the phrase we use to describe that is sharing our life. I mean, if we want to connect with others lovingly, that is a call to action. It is a call to share our life with those around us, sometimes in sacrificial ways. There's a scene in the Gospels in which two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, they weren't chasing Jesus' ideal. They were chasing greatness. So much so that they said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, one of us wants to sit at your right and one of us wants to sit at your left. They were chasing power and prestige. And Jesus says, you guys don't get it. See, in my kingdom... It's about serving others. It's about showing up for others. It's about loving sacrificially. There are two ways that we can look at each other as human beings, according to the philosopher Martin Buber. The first way we can look at each other is through two primary words. I and you. When I have an I and you relationship, what that means is I see you as an equal. You are created in God's image and likeness. I am no better than you. You are no better than me. Because of God's goodness, we all are attached to the same vine. We're all branches flourishing in God's garden, regardless of our social status, regardless of anything. But there's another way to look at each other using two primary words. And those are the words, I, it. When I see you as an it, you are an object to be influenced and used as a means to an end. Something to be exploited for gain, even at times abused. See, in an I-it relationship, others aren't your equal, others are an object. It is impossible to live life on the vine when you objectify others, particularly others on the same vine. At Northbrook, one of our values is taking next steps towards God. So we've got this image of the vine. What do we do with it? Well, first let me challenge you that that our calling is to connect with God fully. Love God with all that you are, heart, soul, and mind. I wonder, is there something you're holding back? Is there a part of life that you have not fully given to him? Because remember what Jesus said, in in order to be on the vine, you've got to produce fruit. Or or maybe, maybe this morning you need to connect with yourself graciously. I love what the book of Romans says, that God has given us his loving favor. This helps me to write these things to you. I, I ask each one of you not to think more of himself than he should think. Instead, think of the right way towards yourself by the faith God has given you. I think the greatest definition of humility is, is this. Don't think too highly of yourself, but also don't think too low of yourself either. But think of yourself the right way, the way God thinks of you. So maybe this week, it's time to reconnect with yourself. Humbly welcome yourself fully, exactly as you are.
instead of saying things like, I'm not smart, I'm not that great, I'm not all that useful or helpful, I'm stupid. No, 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 you're not. But you are as a child of God created to flourish on the vine. And maybe for others of us this week, it's about connecting with others lovingly, about seeing others as created in God's image and not in it or not a thing that frustrates you. Because life on the vine looks like that. Life on the vine looks like connecting with God so fully that he becomes all, all that I am. I connect myself so graciously that I can live with contentment. I don't think too high of myself, but I also don't think too low of myself either. And I can connect with others lovingly without the expectation of reciprocity, without the expectation of anything because I'm thriving on the vine. I want to invite you to stand now. And as we end this morning, I I would like you to join me in this prayer. And may this prayer uh, serve today as our, our charge as we go into our world. Lord, help us to remain in you, just as a branch remains connected to the vine. May we be deeply rooted in your love, grace, and truth. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may continually draw strength and nourishment from your presence. We pray that like branches attached to the vine, we may bear much fruit. May our lives be a reflection of your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Enable us to make a positive impact on the world around us, sharing the good news of your salvation and bringing hope to those in need. Father, we acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing of eternal significance. We humbly surrender our own efforts and ambitions to your will. We trust that you will prune and shape us as necessary to bring forth the most abundant and beautiful fruit in our lives. Amen.